Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Albert. Hi, I'm Albert. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Albert. Thank you, Lucy, for asking me to speak. Um, I was very moved by the chip takers and the birthdays. And on my way over here, trying to remember what it was like when I first came into the program. And I was so completely broken and had no no hope um, and no real belief that this would actually work for me. Um, I'll start at the beginning, which I hear a lot of people talking about the beginning being childhood and possibly being born a compulsive overeater. And while that resonated with me for a really long time, I don't believe that that's necessarily true for me today. But as a child, Uh, There was the competition to eat with my brothers. Um, My mom would come home from grocery shopping, and there would almost be just sort of a competition of who can sneak more food. Or at least I like to think that there was a competition. I don't think that they actually did what I was doing, but I was sneaking food away, and I was eating as quickly as I could so that I could be the first one up to get seconds or thirds or whatever the case might have been that night but was I born a compulsive overeater possibly to the extent that I believe that being born a compulsive overeater was a blessing and that it got me here Um, I was born completely and totally different from everybody else around me I never felt like I fit in. I never felt like I belonged. Um, I was awkward, socially awkward. I'm still socially awkward and have a hard time interacting with people. Um, But I also recognize that to the extent that I can come off normal, it throws people off so that when I turn socially awkward, I could imagine what a jerk most people think that I am or how stuck up most people think I am when really the truth of the matter is is I'm scared of people and I'm scared of connection and I would much rather be isolated and home alone with nothing but food and some decent TV I'll settle for (laughs) decent TV Um, but this disease for me came with mental health issues And my entire life, I've been trying to fix those issues by compensating, by trying to fit in. I was a high school athlete, not necessarily because I wanted to be, but because I thought that doing that would at least save me from having to be around the guys in gym class so I could just go do my sport, which was water polo. And at the time, I just thought, I'm going to swim all summer. It's going to be fun. It it, it wasn't fun. Um, (laughs) 
but I was able to hide my disease and that I could eat pretty much whatever I wanted so long as I spent six hours a day in the pool, which is what I did. And when I, when I stopped my sport, I started to put on weight, and I thought if I was going to grow up and be a man, um, that I was going to have to, yeah, find another way. And at graduation, I went to the Marine Corps, I think more for the diet aspects of it than anything else. And I thought maybe the uniform would attract someone into my life, but uh, that was also kind of misguided. Um, so... Yeah, you sort of have a life of not fitting in and not not getting along. Um, and I have to say that trying to remember what life was like is, is actually a challenge for me today. I am not the same person that walked through the doors 12 years ago. And... and so my highest weight is 350 plus pounds. Um, I'm considerably smaller than that and bigger in so many other ways. Um, I don't like to talk about what I weigh today because I don't want anyone listening to believe that my weight loss has anything to do with the recovery that I feel. And I felt this recovery even when I was a newcomer. Um, so I hit my rock bottom trying every single diet that there was to try. There really wasn't much that I hadn't tried. Uh, I'd abuse myself. I would count my calories. I would get on the treadmill and I wouldn't leave until the number on the machine matched how many calories I had that day. And I just sort of beat myself up. I hated myself. I absolutely hated myself. I tried to fix it by getting an undergraduate degree in psychology and then a PhD in psychology, only to realize that I was completely and totally screwed. And um, I'm trying to watch my language. I was watching my language because I, I was told, watch the language. And uh, at least that's how I heard it. Um, yeah, I was... I am a compulsive overeater through and through. Food is my solution to everything. I desperately, desperately needed it, and thank God it saved my life. It got me here. It got me to 350 pounds, and 350 pounds had me suicidal for a good part of my life. At 21, I was holding a pistol in my house for a friend of mine whose wife didn't want it in hers. So I held it for him, and in my darker moments, I'd hold it underneath my chin and pull the trigger and pray to God to give me the courage to load the gun. Um, I lived as a shut-in at times. Um, again, I was getting help. I was reading everything that I could. I thought that I could outsmart this disease somehow, and I couldn't. And for years, I struggled with my mental health, and for years, I prayed to God to give me the courage to end my life. And... You know, when the food wouldn't numb the pain in my head from my depression, then I would not, well, I'd cut myself, and if the cutting didn't numb the pain, then I would knock myself out with drugs and alcohol. Uh, and then I'd wake up and hope that everything was different. 
that was a good part of my 20s and early 30s until the day I hit my rock bottom. And I don't know exactly what it was, but I was about three years into living as a shut-in. I wouldn't leave my house, um, but in the middle of the night to go through my favorite drive-through places where I didn't even have to order because they knew that they knew what I was getting when they saw my car come into the driveway. And they'd hand me the bag, and I'd drive off without saying a word to anyone unless I was pretending to order for somebody else. Um, and that was my life. And I hit my breaking point, and I had decided one day that I was going to kill myself, and I got everything that I needed, and I, I basically said my goodbyes to my family. I went to Arizona to be with my best friend for the last time, and on that Saturday night, uh, Monday morning I would go to Vegas to kill myself, on Saturday night, my brother called me up, and when the phone rang, I jumped up, ran across the room, picked up the phone, and all he said was, I just asked Adrian to marry me. Will you be my best man? And I, and I had to come home and figure out how I was going to make it to the wedding. So... I came home, and that was in September, and I made it somehow through the holidays. And I'm going to read a journal entry from February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2008. Today's the day. I promise to let myself feel love without fear. Today I'll make the necessary steps to live a more fuller and successful life. I'll celebrate my achievements and those that support me. I'll honor my parents and brothers by living up to my potential. I'll give back to those who have given to me. I'll love unconditionally. I'll pursue success for the pleasure of helping others. I'll show my appreciation to those that help me. Today I'll start a goal to change significant areas of my life, including my mental and physical health. I'll work out and eat right. My career, I'll have deeper loving relationships and look for a wife. I'll actively seek mentors, help, and advice to maintain my momentum. When I work toward my goals, I'm showing love for myself and my family. When I reach my goals, I'll enjoy my success and celebrate. Today I acknowledge that I have denied myself love by sabotaging my success. Today, on Valentine's Day, I'm pledging my love to myself. By doing this, I'll be better able to love my friends, family, and the wife and children I hope to have. I end this letter by saying goodbye to the part of me that has made me so unhappy for so many years. I'm not afraid, and I'll love and be loved with no regret. Love, Albert. So...
February 17th, it's not a good day, I broke my diet, but it's Sunday and I'll allow a day off. Monday I'll start the gym and focus on my diet. The 19th, I'm recognizing my self-sabotaging resistance to making progress toward my goals. I'm fighting them and making progress. My diet went well today. On the 20th, I met my therapist for the first time. I met a woman who would become my therapist for the first time. On the 22nd, I let myself down. There's no excuse. My stomach hurts. I ate so much. I need help. I need a plan. I won't fail. This week is done. I'll start right now. The 24th. Today I gave myself the day off. Ten days in, I needed a day off, apparently. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I ate. I watched the Oscars. I'm starting new in the morning. The 27th, sabotage. The 28th, last night I had a breakdown. I fought with my dad. It goes on and on until I just stopped writing one day. Um, Not long after, I found this program. Six months into therapy, about six months into therapy, my therapist, after six months, had been telling me, go to OA. And the first time she told me, go to OA, because I thought if I went to her, she'd help me lose the weight and somehow I'd be lovable and employable and I'd be able to get my life back. And she said, go to this meeting. And for months, I said no, until I went on my last diet, which was 500 calorie a day diet. And I gave myself injections that I got from some friend down the street who just, yeah, it was, it was all kind of sketchy, but it worked, <laughs> surprisingly. So in a month, I, go, I went to my therapist, and I'm like, I'm, I'm losing so much weight. I look good. And she'd say, she said once, Albert, you look, like, you look horrible. She didn't say it like that. She said, you look horrible. Um, go to a meeting. I'm like, I don't need a meeting. I'm doing fine. Uh, until the diet ended, and I started putting on weight. And about a week after that, I think I must have put on two weeks after probably close to another 20 pounds and I was feeling just completely devastated and my therapist said go to a meeting it's down the street this was on Robertson on log cabin on Robertson um the Tuesday night meeting I parked well she said, go to this meeting. I said, okay, I'll go. And she says, okay, great, call me after. And I'm like, shit, now I have to go to this meeting. Um, so I went to the meeting. I sat across the street in my car, and I watched people go in. And I was afraid because they all looked normal. And I didn't want to go in. But I went in, and these two guys who I've never seen since that meeting turned to me to welcome me. And at that point in my life, I was invisible, like nobody saw me ever. And they welcomed me, 
And the first per- person that I heard speak told my story. And she was normal. But in that moment, I wasn't alone. I had found my program, I found my family, and my life started. Um, that was sometime late in August. Uh, I found a sponsor, luckily somebody came up to me and said, look, I'll, I can sponsor you if you want me to help you, but you have to call me every day. And I said, okay, I'll do whatever you tell me. He asked me, what is, what's your abstinence? And I said, I don't binge. He said, well, how do you define that? And I said, I don't know, I just know when I do it. And he said, why don't you make your abstinence three meals a day and that's it. And I said, well, nutritionists say you should eat at least five times a day. Um, I followed his direction for the most part. I didn't call every day. And, uh, and then one day we, we decided uh, it wasn't working. Um, but I got abstinent for him. So I like to tell people that um, I didn't kill myself for my brother. I came to OA for my therapist. I got abstinent for my first sponsor on October 25th when my brother got married is the day that I start counting my abstinence because that was the day that I had to do this for myself. Um, Clearly, my life was just textbook step one. My life was unmanageable and I was completely and totally powerless. Step two, I came to believe that I could be restored to sanity. But the funny thing is, is today I'll tell people that I've been like restored to insanity because this is crazy. I could not imagine becoming the person that I am today. I am so far beyond what I thought was possible. Um, I want to talk a little bit about my higher power, and I can't believe that I even have the nerve to second-guess whether or not I have time when my higher power is giving me my life back. And then I wonder, should I talk about God? Would that offend some people? Um, um, When I was young, I was walking through a college campus, and this young guy stopped me and he was kind of giving a a religious pitch and he was asking me if I believed in God and I said yes and he asked if I'd pray with him and I'm like what the hell are you no I'm not going to pray with you and um and he said if you if you were in love and the most beautiful person loved you wouldn't you go and tell all your friends how amazing that person is God loves you more than anyone is ever going to love you. Why wouldn't you tell people that? Um, I don't have... I want to say I don't have a conception of God the way some people might have a conception of God, but I trust that For me, like I just, I have just found God in everything, and, and the way that my higher power has evolved. Uh, I believed in an idea of God, but I didn't believe that that God believed in me. 
And in those moments in my life where I felt like God was tapping me on the shoulder and saying, it's time for you to do something and be of service, I thought to myself, not me. I could, it couldn't be me. I can't be the one that helps other people. Who the hell would take help from me? And, and one day at a time, my conception of my higher power has grown. And maybe some of you have heard me talk about God before, but um, I was watching, I was just watching something on YouTube. And this has been my metaphor for my higher power since I saw it. Um, but back in 1995, scientists at NASA were pointing the Hubble telescope at an area of sky no bigger than a grain of sand stretched out at arm's length. And they pointed the telescope at this area where some people thought there's just nothing there for 10 days. And over the course of 10 days, photons that had been traveling for tens of millions of years had come into the sensors in the world's most powerful telescope. And when the images were revealed, 3,500 galaxies, each containing billions of stars, showed up in this image. Um, and that was my metaphor for God. In that moment, I knew that God was the tiniest thing inside of me where I don't believe that there's anything good or anything lovable or redeemable. And that became my higher power. And with time and patience, what's been revealed to me is really more than anything I could have ever imagined myself to become. Um, and one day at a time, like my conception of God fluctuates as I need it to. Someday I anthropomorphize a higher power and have conversations with him or her. And then there are days when I lean on the God of my childhood, um, the one my parents and my grandma believed so much in. And then there are days when I just believe that I can, I can hold space for the darkness that exists in our collective humanity and know that there is an opposite end of that spectrum and I can also be that and lean on that. So... And that's just like step three. <laughs> so, like I have, it's really strange for me to be up here and to talk about my recovery. I, it doesn't happen that often that people ask me to speak, but it seems like people will ask when I'm struggling the most. And the miracle this time is my struggles are so small. They're so, they're just the tiniest things that I just love to jump into drama because I so desperately want that excuse to eat something that I shouldn't be eating or to isolate when I shouldn't be isolating or to not do work when I should be working. And today that I've gotten to know myself in a completely new way, um, I've come to believe that My higher power blessed me with everything that I've struggled with in my life and everything that I've overcome in my life. 
and that I don't need the excuses anymore to fit in and I don't need the excuses to turn to the food and I can trust that when I work my program I'm turning into the person that I hope always hope that I become and I want to say that for me the clarity of the man that I've always wanted to be was essential in being able to recover that I spent most of my life trying to figure out a problem that I could fix and if I were to fix that problem then I would then turn into a better person and that's not what I believe today that the parts of me that I've tried to fix for so long have been the parts of me that just wanted to be loved and accepted and there is no aspect of the darker parts of me that I don't fully accept and love today which makes my recovery so much easier because I spent my life thinking that I'd have to wake up every day fighting these thoughts when all I had to do was love them I want to say that I'm that there's some disbelief that that is even possible but when I've come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to whatever it is that that's happening right now um like I I've just been truly blessed by this disease so just for the yeah okay there is a pragmatic part of program that I think a lot of people if you catch me on the phone which I'm really hard to get a hold of because I'm so busy uh but when you catch me on the phone this is how I tend to sound I'm very I like to talk about God and I like to sound a little woo woo sometimes maybe um and the type of psychologist that I am is not woo woo at all um and I don't believe most of that stuff I've come to believe that every bit of my disease stemmed from an inability to connect to to the divine or the divine that was in me and um so I I like to talk a lot about God and I like to talk a lot about spirituality and forgiveness and acceptance but there is a pragmatic part of the program that I was lucky enough to work early on um I learned to love the gym by some miracle I learned to love cauliflower in the last year uh, um I you know my abstinence when I was a newcomer was three meals a day nothing in between and someone said a meal is anything that fits on a plate comfortably and I thought a peanut a jar of peanut butter and a jar of frosting fit perfect on a plate and I would find these loopholes that didn't feel good coming it didn't feel good coming into the rooms and saying I'm abstinent give me a chip um because I was doing things that didn't fit with who I believed that I was so I got more honest and I was more and more willing to let go of the behaviors that didn't feel like I just didn't feel in alignment with who I wanted to be. Um I added two snacks and then my snacks looked like the 
you know, they, they just did, they were not snacks. So a lot of restrictions around what a snack was and what a meal was and what sitting comfortably on a plate actually meant. And all of these things evolved with a connection to a higher power. And it evolved the more that I started to believe in myself that I didn't have to use the loopholes because I was just punishing myself. I learned to love the gym. Early on in program, the rule was, if I go to the gym, I could only listen to love songs that were to God or God to me. Because I liked going to the gym and I liked listening to aggressive music and I liked abusing my body. So I had to change that relationship with my environment, especially when I was there. So I started listening to loving music. And another rule was the moment I caught a reflection of myself in the mirror and started to abuse myself, I had to walk out of the gym. And there were days when I'd walk into the gym, walk onto the Stairmaster, and literally walk off and out of the gym not five minutes later. But the goal was to make to make it a healthy, loving place for myself. And that took a very long time. Um, Ten years later, I love the gym. Uh, it is my safe place. Almost a little too, too safe in that I want to go there and just hang out and not talk to anybody. But I'm learning to make connection with other people a priority for stints, not, not, like not straight, but like chunks, of, because that is where I struggle the most today. Um, but I think that for me, my recovery has come with the willingness to be very clear about what I'm doing and what I want and who I am and whether or not I'm willing to put all of that stuff in alignment. Um, none of this has been easy, but the cliche, as the cliche goes, um, my worst days in program are better than my best days in my disease. Did I say that right? Yeah, I don't know if there's much more that I can say. I am a total miracle of this program. I, I would not be here if it wasn't for OA. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for people that came before me who were willing to talk about the things that I thought were so shameful growing up. So uh, with that, thank you for letting me share. Okay, so, okay, there's time for questions. Do I have a daily spiritual routine and what does it look like? Um, this is 10 years of recovery and praying and that got me to this point. So I would not share this uh, with a newcomer and I would never tell a newcomer that this is the way to do what I do around my spiritual practice. But I'm up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm at the gym by 5 o'clock. I watch motivational videos, spiritual videos. I listen to a lot of poetry. I get to work by about 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning. I journal. I write down. I have some idea of what I'm going to eat in a given day. The answer is yes. I have a spiritual journey. <laughs> a spiritual, so it's... 
my spiritual practice is is a, a routine of structure. That growing up, there was so much inconsistency. I didn't know what I was doing to make people happy or sad, and I would adjust my day in whatever I had to do to make everything okay around me because there wasn't any consistency. So today, for me, my spiritual practice is really creating structure that gives me a predictable, very boring day-to-day, and that gives me time to, like, plan, you know, like, fun stuff, which, yeah, yeah, I'm working on. I had the same sponsor for 10 years. Well, the answer is no. Okay, do I have the same sponsor? And this is an interesting question. Um, Because I have so many sponsees, I don't think I have a sponsor uh, or I owe her a call. Um, It's been a while. But my sponsor... After about two months with my first sponsor, that didn't work out, and I had my second who took me through 10 years of recovery. Um, That person, I was looking for a sense of, of serenity, and that's what she had, and she had everything that I wanted. She was married, And she spoke of her struggles with a sense of peace and serenity, and that's all I wanted. Um, I'm here today in large part because of her. Because when I came to this program, I didn't think that I could lose weight, but I thought that I could at least learn to accept myself as I was. And, And again, that was the longest relationship I've actually ever had in my life was the 10 years that uh, I worked with her. Um, But her family life, and I just, things weren't weren't connecting, but, yeah, that's, yeah. So, after hitting my rock bottom, right, right. So, after hitting my rock bottom, how have I experienced or dealt with, um, suicidal ideation or like my mental health issues is how I heard the question. Um, So there was never a point where I hit complete rock bottom and it was all over. My rock bottom was the happiest day of my life because I knew that that Monday all of the pain was going to be over. In recovery, I've hit rock bottoms. And I've prayed to God to end my suffering, and I didn't want to wake up in the morning. And I had those moments where I was ready to let go. And I've come to recognize that the parts of me that I wish so much were behind me have died, but they've become the foundation of who I am today. So that the struggle that I've had and the bottoms that I've hit have have all just become parts of me that I've learned to love over the years. So they come up, they happen often. I'm sure that they'll happen again, and I'll welcome them with open arms the way that I've begrudgingly done in the past. But I have hope today. I don't have that sense of calm that the pain is going to end because I have a deeper connection to a hope 
of a path that is laid out before me by my higher power and somehow I, I think that that's going to be so much better than the life that I've allowed myself to have in my darkest days. Um, that's time. Thank you so much for letting me be here.